decent spiritual food, isn't he? Yes. It's only spiritual food that feeds the inner man. Yes. You know, Eckhart Hosworth, a man who wrote a book, said, most people feed um, their bodies three good meals a day, and a new man one snack on a Sunday. <laughs> well, that's not quite good enough. <laughs> because I realize that <clears throat> we have an inner man, a new man, because everybody that's in Christ is a new creation and he's born of God. And God is your Father. The Lord Jesus Christ is your great high priest and the Holy Spirit is there alongside you everywhere you go. Isn't it wonderful? We've got the Trinity on our side. <laughs> it's wonderful. This salvation is so great. The older I get, the more wonderful it becomes. <laughs> It's so extraordinary, it blows your mind. <laughs> and to think that God chose me out of all these people, and he's chosen you. And so if God has invested all this in me and you, what are we doing with this investment? <laughs> what are we doing with it? Are we burying it? Or are we using it? And God wants you to grasp who you are and what you are in Christ. You're not just Anne and Joe and Bloggs and whoever you are but you're a new person in Christ. You're joined to Christ. And it's wonderful, isn't it? And when we come into the family of God, we are, we're only a child. We're a baby Christian. And the problem is in the church today, we've got too many baby Christians and not enough big Christians who know how to handle themselves and no longer want the bottles and the Legos and don't scream at the least thing and get offended at everything. We need people who are stable, grown-up, and adults. <laughs> and and they, they are feeding on what makes them grow spiritually. Which, the first temptation that Jesus had in the wilderness was, turn these stones into bread. And that temptation comes to every one of us. God is our source, not ourselves. <laughs> And when we realize that God is our source and that he's made us anew and that we're joined to him and his life, then we don't live by all this. We need all this to live, but we live by every word. Isn't it? Every word that proceeds from heaven. Because actually, our church is in heaven. We, our citizenship is in heaven. Our conversation should be in heaven. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes we're in Grumble Alley. We get the moans and the groans. And we tend to look at our circumstances instead of looking at Jesus. Isn't it? But if you've got little faith, you see, the problem is you're going to look at your circumstances so your faith needs to be developed, and you need to be developed, and I need to be developed. So when we think, we think like God thinks. Like Paul said, we have the mind of Christ. You know, we've got to think like God. But we can only do that if we eat the right food, isn't it? We've got to eat the right food to be strong. You know, we've got all these people who are eating bad food today and, and, and they tell us in society and they've got, they've got all these complications in their body, haven't they? All these different things are happening and we've got an NHS service completely overloaded, can't handle it. And it's a bit like that in the body of Christ. They've got all these people eating the wrong food and they've got all these things wrong with them and they can't make out what's wrong, but they're eating the wrong stuff. You've got to eat that which is good. Interesting, before I start on what I want to speak on, um, I noticed David and Leslie said something last night. And um, I was reading in the book of Joel. And when I was reading this book, I, I was a bit staggered when I... Where is Joel? He's gone. He's gone away. Uh, he is in here somewhere. <laughs> here he is. <laughs> um, and it says in the ninth verse, the meat offering, in Joel 1, and the drink offering is cut off from the house of God. Now that's not good news. But we can have 
meat and drink. <laughs> Can't we? God wants us to have meat and drink. Because if we're eating and drinking the right stuff, we'll be strong. But when we were in North Wales, I was talking on the last morning about a man called Jacob. And Jacob is a very interesting man. He's got an awful lot to teach us as children of God. Because we're all a bit like Jacob. We, we've got problems. We have, he had problems, all sorts of problems. And all sorts of difficulties in his life. And there comes a point in time when, when we're trying to fix everything that we think we can fix in our life. And we can't really fix it, but we're trying to fix it. And this is like Jacob. For 20 years, he lives his life having to deal with Laban and Esau and his two wives. And we spoke about Leah, you know, how her faith grew. And it's a sample of development of faith and how she began to praise God. And she got a reward and she became a dwelling house. And, of course, the great thing is we, it's not all out there. It's in here, Christ in you the hope of glory. See, you've got Christ in you, but you've got to know it, haven't you? And the problem is, and so after 20 years now, Jacob realizes that Esau is coming with 400 men, he's going to kill him because of what he did. And he thinks he stole his blessing. But of course, you can't steal the blessing of God of anybody. <laughs> God blesses you. And the greatest thing you can have in your life is the blessing of God. Oh, yeah. And if you know you're blessed and you make sure you keep your union and your fellowship with God, that blessing on your life will bring you favor. Favor. Blessing. And whatever you touch will be blessed. Wonderful. What a wonderful thing the blessing of God is. Favor. Salvation. And, and you know, this is what it says in Genesis 32... Um, 24 and Jacob Jacob was left alone (laughs) you have to come to a place in your life where it's you and Jesus it's you and Jesus nobody else Jesus is not only your saviour He not should be your Lord, but he is your great high priest. Jesus can give you anything you need. Anything you need. But you've got to honor him. Oh yeah, you've got to honor him. And we'll speak about this in a minute, about development of faith. But the point about it is, there's something in you and me, we're like Jacob. We think we can fix it. No, you can't. Jesus can fix it. And this situation, Jacob had done everything he could to placate his brother, giving him a gift of about half a million dollars. And this gift was on the way, you know, and he was back there. But he knew in his spirit it would not placate. You know, you cannot fix your problem, but Jesus can. Jesus can fix it, can't he? And this is what he said. And he saw that, uh, and Jacob was left alone, and they wrestled with him until um, they wrestled a man with him till the break of day. That man is Jesus. That man is Jesus. You know, we want to wrestle with Jesus because we want our way in things. But if Jesus is to be Lord of your life, you can't have your way and have the blessing and uh, and have the glory of God on your life. You've got to make him Lord. And there's, he's wrestling and wrestling with Jesus. And, and he says, And when he saw that he prevailed not against him, Jesus touched his thigh. And you know, it's better for you to limp in life and have the blessing of God on your life and the power of God on your life. It's better for you to have something in your life you probably don't like, but have the blessing of God. Do you know that? When God dealt with me when I was 35 years old, I had everything I thought in life, a good career, a good house, a good job, everything I thought I had, and then suddenly God pointed the finger at me. It was very frightening. When God gets on your case, it's very frightening. Conviction is a very frightening thing. 
And as I began to turn to God and God began to show me all these things, I realized that I would have to lose something to gain something. It costs. The truth costs. Oh yeah. And it's better for you to face the truth when the Holy Spirit is telling you, deal with that. And you keep your flesh doesn't want to deal with it. <laughs> oh no. You see, there are two great dangers we face as a Christian. It's unbelief. It's unrighteousness, rather. And self-righteousness. Two great dangers you and I face. And every one of us face these. Unrighteousness is what your flesh wants to do. And self-righteousness thinks you're good enough without the righteousness of Christ. And that's religion. You and I will never be good enough We must have the righteousness of Christ. We must be clothed. And incidentally, you can't have the armor on if you're not clothed. You have to have the robe of righteousness and the garment of salvation before you can put your breastplate on. Haven't you? And there are many people trying to fight the enemy in their life, but they... They're not trusting solely and only in the righteousness of Christ. Understand, self-righteousness is subtle. It's like leaven that gets into people. And they think, because I've been in a Pentecostal church for 30 years, I'm good. (laughs) Well, it doesn't make you good sitting anywhere. It's what you're eating and drinking makes you good. Oh, yeah. You might sit in a service and sing all the nice hymns and even give your tithes and offerings. And a lot of people don't even give that. They give their spiritual sixpence. Not good enough. No. You know, God is, is got to be honored. Who is the source of your life? Is it Jesus or is it something else? Well, Jacob was coming. This was his Waterloo. And you know, every one of us has to come to a Waterloo where it's you and Jesus. Isn't it? And it says that he, uh, and it said unto him, what is your name, Jacob? Supplanter. He was a supplanter. He was a, he was a cool cookie, was Jacob, boy. He'd outwit anybody. Oh, yeah, he was a cool cockney, as they say. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. He knew how to outsmart anybody. He was a smart guy. But here was his Waterloo. And God said to him, what is your name? And he had to say what his name was. The old stinker. Yeah. And we're all old stinkers. We are. The old man is a stinker. Only one place for him. On the cross. Crucified. And buried. (laughs) You don't take the old stinker around with you. You bury him. (laughs) You bury him. You know, some people think we're carrying around this old stinker with us everywhere. No wonder some people stink. Yeah. No, he's been crucified, he's died, and he's buried. I'm a brand new man. Hallelujah. And I got a brand new father. I got rid of that Adam. Yeah, I got rid of him. I got new relatives. I'm encompassed with a great cloud of witnesses. <laughs> I've got all Hebrews 11. I've got all the whole church, all my ancestors, and they're saying to you and me today, get on with it. Pick your feet up. <laughs> Start eating and drinking the right stuff. <laughs> yeah. Well, there can be food and drink in your house if you're prepared to do it. <laughs> you know, some people are too lazy to cook, aren't they? They go to the supermarket shelf and they get off this stuff off the shelf and stick it in the microwave. Well, it's all right on holiday, isn't it? But I wouldn't like to live on it. (laughs) I went on holiday to Westworth and I said, we'll buy some of this stuff. And I had this shepherd's pie and I thought, yep, yep, yep. (laughs) No more shepherd's pie out of the whatever it was. (laughs) No, I like the real food, don't you? Real food, you can feed. See, and what God is saying to you, grow up and feed yourself. Feed yourself. Get your cooker out. Get your ingredients out. Start doing some digging. Get it out of the word. And put it on the oven and cook it. Meditation is cooking. 
Oh yeah, meditation is cooking. And when you studied it and memorized it and then you meditate it, suddenly everything that seemed to be just a lot of ingredients now begins to look really good. <laughs> and you can eat it. <laughs> and that's what we've got to do. We've got to eat and drink. Yes, God is bringing back the meat and the drink offering in the house of God. And thank God he is. <laughs> and we're going to eat something that's good. <laughs> and we're going to be strong, <laughs> aren't we? And we're going to be fit. <laughs> we're going to be like Caleb at 80 years old. He said, give me this mountain. <laughs> Isn't it? There you are. When you're 80, give me this mountain. Then there's this big, this look at the giants and all this business, and we're grasshoppers. Get rid of the grasshopper mentality and get a Caleb mentality, you know. Get the mind of Christ, isn't it? And I tell you, God will help us. Because I have to do, you, you know, you have to get yourself by your head and take yourself and, you know, give yourself a bit of a kick up the backside and say, come on, move yourself, <laughs> isn't it? Because, you know, we all want to put our feet up and we all want it to fall on us, but it doesn't work like that. No, it doesn't work like that. You've got to do it. <laughs> well, here, Jacob eventually, and God said, Thy name shall no more be called Jacob, but Israel, for as a prince thou hast power with God and with men, and hast prevailed. I'd like to prevail like that, wouldn't you? Amen. I want to say to God, I will not let you go until you bless me. You've got to have that determination. In your spirit. You've got to have this in you. Don't look at other people to feed you. Get fed. Feed yourself to feed somebody else. Isn't it? And get filled up. You know, the greatest promise they say in the Bible is in the middle of the Beatitudes. They that hunger and thirst after righteousness shall be filled. Righteousness is the key to the gospel. It is. It's the key to the gospel. And, you know, I, I want to try and lay a foundation for you because I'm quite disturbed by some of the men I've heard recently who have said things that really I am a little bit disturbed about because I realize that it's a gospel, but it's not the gospel. This is the problem, isn't it? You know, I was brought up in a, a culture where it's all about forgiveness of sins. Well, you know, forgiveness of sins is part of the gospel, but it's more than that. As we said the other time we were here, justification is sanctification and it's glorification. There are three big things involved in the foundation of the gospel in your life. And justification, I'll give you this definition so you've got it on the tape, so you've got to listen to it, you've got it is a New Testament term for our standing in the presence of God. It means not only that you're forgiven of your sins, but also that your sins have been dealt with and have been removed, right? Justification states that God regards you as righteous. No matter what you've done, he regards you as right as if you had not sinned. In other words, it's stronger than forgiveness, you may have been forgiven, but sins remains on us. But justification removes the guilt, the condemnation. If you've got a believer who doesn't, he's got condemnation on his life, he does not get this, what Paul is teaching in Romans. It's justification. Look, we've all got a past. I don't like my past. But thank God that Jesus took my past. My iniquities and my sins were nailed to the tree. He took my place upon that cross. And because he fulfilled all righteousness, when I put my trust in Christ, he gives me his righteousness as a gift. Yeah. I'm clothed now with the righteousness of Christ. And this is much more than forgiveness of sins. And we've got to know this. because See, if you don't think you're righteous, you will not live righteous. You understand? You'll keep doing things wrong and say, I'm sorry. Well, the gospel is not being so about being sorry. The gospel is about repentance. And repentance means that you're going that way and you turn around and you go the other way. Now, we fail, yes, and thank God for the, our great high priest, Jesus, and the blood of Jesus. And if we fail and if we repent, 
he'll forgive us our sins. But the intention is we do not go back, we move forward. Understand? So if the foundation is right in your life, you can move. For, you, you can't build a house on an unsure foundation, can you? It's going to fall. Jesus says it's got to be. Some people are on sand of religion. They're falling. They wonder why they fall into sin because they haven't got the foundation right. And this is the problem, isn't it? See, God makes a legal declaration that all the demands of the law upon us and the condition of life are fully satisfied with regard to all who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and therefore we are no longer under a state of condemnation. There is therefore now no condemnation to them in Christ Jesus, says. And there are two elements, and I want you to get this, of this declaration. The first is negative. Romans 3.20 says, By the law is the knowledge of sin. Romans 3.10 says, There is none righteous, no, not one. The whole world's guilty. And I need forgiveness. And my guilt needs to be dealt with. My sins need to be covered and blotted out. But this is the point of justification. It does not stop at forgiveness. So justification and forgiveness are not identical. To do this as an old preacher teacher said, is have a wrong conception of the atonement. You see, and this is the problem, you see. And we've got to understand what Jesus has done for us. It must be realized that as part of the atonement, Christ rendered a positive obedience to the law before he obeyed it passively upon the cross. You see? There is in addition a second positive element in justification. In addition, having our sins forgiven we have imputed to us or put to our account or to our reckoning the positive righteousness of Christ. This is a tremendous thing. It is a tremendous thing that you and I that were sinners are now declared righteous. And God looks upon us as he looks upon his son Jesus because we have faith in Christ and we are now his child like Jesus is the first begotten from the dead. You were the second, third, whatever you are. Justification does more, and this is another point. Justification does more than restore one to the condition of Adam, because Adam had a righteousness, didn't he, before he fell. But this is greater than what Adam had. Let's think about it. Before he fell, so if that's the case, and it's up to me, see, if I believe it's that, it's up to me then to go on by my own righteous living to justify myself. I can't. You can't do it. No, no one of us can meet the demands of a holy God. Justification is entirely an act of God in which I have nothing to do with it. He imputes it to me, positive righteousness of Christ, and I'm now in a condition beyond Adam, and Adam did not have this positive righteousness of Christ. And then here's another point. There's a problem. Our faith does not constitute our righteousness. You can't say because that man out there didn't believe and I believe and I'm better than him. Oh no. No, no. Our faith does not constitute our righteousness. God does not look upon me and say that because I believe he will count me as righteous. Not at all. He says, I give to you the righteousness of my son who kept the law for you perfectly for you and me. He did it for us. You see, he did it for us. And he who died for your sins, he, Jesus, has given me a gift of faith to believe, the power to believe, and I look to Christ, not myself, or my faith, or my righteousness, is entirely of Christ. I believe in his declaration. He declares me it righteous. He puts it to my account. And I can wear a spotless robe of righteousness. You've got to get this consciousness. You must know this. Otherwise, the enemy is going to get at you. He's going to try and bring up everything you do wrong. He's going to try and condemn you. He's going to try and drag you back into your previous lifestyle. You know, Woost, a great expositor of Romans, a Greek scholar, says that we've been unplugged from Adam and we've been plugged into Christ. But you have, you've still got a free will. You can unplug yourself out of Christ if you want to and plug yourself into Adam if you want to. I know some people don't agree with that, but I do. I've seen some hairy doctrines about today. 
You see, and one of the problems you've got with this whole faith business is, how can I put this? Is this, that some people take verses of scripture that Paul writes out of context. And they say, because I'm made righteous, you're declared righteous. You're covered. It's imputed to you. It's put to your account. And I've heard this said, I can find no fault in you. This is a man speaking, this is a famous preacher, speaking about his daughter who's had three or four husbands and about five different kids and standing up and preaching about relationships and love and how to get on with people. You know, the thing doesn't add up because the doctrine is wrong. (laughs) You see? You see... The problem is you, you are perfect in Christ, a perfect new person, but your child, if he's not disciplined, if he's not educated, if he's not trained, what will happen to your child? You're a child of God, and so the next question is, what is the next thing that's got to happen in your life? And this is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1.30, he says, Christ is made unto us wisdom, righteousness, and this big word, sanctification. Now, a lot of people don't like this word. Oh, no, we don't want it. We, we're all right as we are. We're perfect. We're made righteous. And everything I do, I see no fault in you. You're perfect. Well, that's a nonsense. Absolute nonsense. You, you are in a process. You're in Father's house. And now God... You're not, under, you're not under condemnation, but you're under the discipline now of Father's house. When you pray, who do you pray to? Our Father. And you know, this is what Paul says. Let, let's read it. I'm, I'm not, you know, this is not what I think. This is what the Bible says. And I know a lot of people don't like this. And I know one preacher came down our way from Cardiff. Oh, I don't believe in all that. Oh, I said, well, it's in the Bible. She said to me, she was a reverend with her collar. I, I don't need any discipline. Oh, no. She, I said, don't you? And I thought, well, you know, de- sin is deceptive, isn't it? Sin has the power to deceive you, to think you're all right when you're not all right. Oh, yeah, that's the power of sin. Very subtle. And, 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 and Satan can dangle his sensual pleasures in front of you, can't he? And say, have a bit of this. It'll be all right. Nobody will know. But your father knows everything. How stupid. Do you think you can hide anything from God? Do you think if Joseph had gone off with Potiphar's wife, God wouldn't have known about it? We would have probably heard no more about Joseph, would we? He was under discipline. God was training Joseph for a very big job. And it took 13 years. And what kind of discipline was that? It was horrendous. I wouldn't like to add, I've had some discipline and I don't like what I've been through. But thank God I'm still here and I'm normal, I hope. And I'm praising God and I'm hearing God speak to me and thank God I've been through it all. Isn't it? Well, this is what Paul says in, 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 in Hebrews 12. He says... For whom the Lord loveth, he what? He chasteneth. Yeah. He chasteneth and scourgeth every son he receiving. And if they endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons, he says. For what son is he whom the father chasteneth? But if you are without chastisement, whereof you're all partakers, then you're, well, the King James word is bastards. Not a very good word. I don't know what the modern word, I should have got the right word, but... You know, I, I don't want to be a bastard, do you? So if your life is absolutely hunky-dory at the moment, and you're a Christian, maybe there should be a, an alarm bell going off. <laughs> maybe things are not as rosy as you think they are. And one of the most dangerous conditions, I remember reading this old preacher, Welsh revival, he said, the mo- one of the most dangerous things is that what's known as false peace. 
You know, we think everything's all right, but it's not. Because you're trusting in yourself and your goodness and your self-righteousness instead of Christ's righteousness. Well, this is what Paul says. He says, um, furthermore, we have fathers of the flesh who correct us, gave them reverence, etc., etc. Verily, a few days chastened us after their own pleasure. And he says, for no chastening for the present. Well, it doesn't. Seems to be joyous, he says. But grievous. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruits of righteousness. And then they exercise. Now they lift up the hands that hang down and the feeble knees. You know, lift up your hands. Talk to your knees. Don't be put off by what's happening to you. You've got a Father God. You know he's there. Make straight your paths of your feast, feet, lest that which is lame return out of the way. And this it says, and let it rather be healed. You know, a lot of things in life, if you want healing, is all to do with relationship. Healing is not a lucky dip. You know. Maybe I've turned up in church and I had something happen. Maybe God's dealing with you about something. Maybe God is saying to you, stop thinking like that. Stop talking like that. Stop acting like that. You see, you've got a father. And he's looking at you and he's looking at me. He knows exactly what's going on. God does not look at the outward appearance, no matter how attractive you are. And when you look in the mirror in the morning, you think, boy, isn't it wonderful? No, no. <laughs> or, is it, or is it dreadful? <laughs> no. The point about it is God looks on the inner man. You know, what did Samuel say? You know, when he stood with all those magnificent sons of Jesse, all lined up, all seven of them. And he said, surely this is the one Lord. And the Lord said, oh, no, no, no. Not him. Surely this is one magnificent looking bloke. Well, have you got any other sons, Jesse? Oh, yeah, we got this fellow out in the field. The lad. Oh, he says, there can only be one more. It must be him. Close everything down, he said, till he arrives. And they've got this scripture God does not look on the outward appearance, but God looks on the inner man. You see, you're a believer, you've got an inner man. The man in the street hasn't got an inner man. He's dead. He's a dead spirit. He's dead in trespasses and sins. He's perishing. But we're not. We're saved. But God wants to infuse into you this life. He wants you to have this life and have it more abundant. He wants to bless you. Oh, he wants you to have power, like he said to Jacob, power with God and power with men. He wants you to have it. Yes, and you can have it, but you've got to take the journey. You've got to take the discipline. Fair play to Jacob. He kept the faith, despite all the problems with Laban, despite all the problems with Rachel, despite all the problems with Leah, and he had some problems, didn't he? My gun, they were real problems. But faith brought him through. And here he is, he's at Waterloo, and faith brings him through again. I like this man, Jacob. Oh, I love him. I say, Lord, he's encouraging me and he encouraged you. What's wrong with you? Get hold of Jesus. Get hold of Jesus. And don't let him go until he blesses you. Oh, yeah. Jesus is your great high priest. Not this, that, and the other ministry. And you turn up and you might not get a seat and then you might be lucky if you're prayed for. No, you go to headquarters. Yeah, you've got access. Yeah, you've got access. What does Romans 5, 1 says? You have access by faith into this grace wherein you stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. My goodness me, if you knew what you had and I knew, we'd be, you know, God wants to, us to wake up spiritually. Oh yeah, he wants you to understand who you are, what you are and what you've got. The enemy wants to flatten you. He wants to put upon you all this thing. Forget about him. And, you know, this is a secret. I said to our brother, the railway man, I don't know what his name is, but <laughs> I said, Gerha. You see, the problem is, 
I didn't say this to him, but I, 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 want, I wanted to. So I mean, most, a lot of Christians are like chickens. <laughs> They're scratching down here at the whole time. They're scratching. And they're talking about this and talking about this and my arthritis and my this and my that and my the other. Forget it. No, 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 no. We're not chickens. <laughs> We're eagles. <laughs> eagles saw. <laughs> eagles saw. If you look at yourself, you can get very upset. I, 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 don't, and, and don't look at anybody else. Just keep looking at Jesus. <laughs> Isn't it? Just keep looking at Jesus. This is what we've got to do. We've got to realize who we are and what we've got. Oh, heaven's ringing. <laughs> oh. <laughs> wow, I didn't know they had phones up there. <laughs> Direct line to heaven. Praise the Lord. <laughs> no, Jesus is the one, isn't he? Isn't he the one? Is he your great high priest? Or is that fellow with a clerical collar down the road? (laughs) You know, the problem is in the church, I've heard this said, I've been helping this Church of England church, and they've got some really funny ideas, the Catholic tradition. It's amazing what they... And, and, uh, well, you see, the church is our... God is our father, and and the church is our mother. I said, Really? I, I find it all very I find it all very hairy but there we are and you see there's no joy in these people is there you notice if you read Joel, Joel when it talks about the meat and the drink offering when it talks about the drink offering it talks about joy oh yeah you drink this stuff and you get oh this stuff is good stuff. Wow. Don't drink the normal stuff. Drink the spiritual stuff. Woo. And you'll start to get joyful. Woo. It'll start woo, coming up inside you. Oh. Oh, ho, ho, ho. Ha, ha, ha. Ho, ho, ho. Ha, ha, ha. Ho, ho, ho. Ho, ho, ho. Ho, ho, ho. Yeah. It's oh. Yeah. Ha ha. Yeah. You need to drink this stuff. <laughs> Eat and drink the right stuff. <laughs> what does Peter say? It's joy. Down in your boots? Oh no. Unspeakable. <laughs> and full of glory. Woo! You see, why people are scratching down here is because they've got no joy. If you've got joy, you will start to rejoice. And you know what happens to people who rejoice? They become an eagle and they start what? They start flying. They're flying. They're going up into heavenly places. <laughs> and guess where all the blessings are? In heavenly places. <laughs> in heavenly places. And I've got a seat up there. <laughs> Have you got a seat in heavenly places? In Zion? I've got a seat up there. It's got my name on it. And I can go there every day and sit there. Oh. <laughs> oh. I tell you, it's tremendous. It's not religion. No, this is, this is Jesus. Amen. Full of joy, wasn't he? Yes. Tremendous person, Jesus, isn't he? Oh, isn't he wonderful? I tell you, get in love with Jesus. You know, the Apostle John, he was the closest of all the apostles to Jesus, wasn't he? The only one that didn't get martyred. They tried to boil him, they couldn't. Stuck him on Patmos. <laughs> they stuck him on Patmos. And he gets the greatest revelation of Jesus that anybody's ever seen before heaven. The glorified, risen, reigning King of kings and Lord of lords. Oh, I tell you, what a book Revelation is. 
is telling you, you're going to make it. You're a winner. You overcome him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of your testimony. But you see, praise and thanksgiving is what you use to get into your place. It's your rocket fuel. (laughs) It's what gets you up there. And when you're up there, there's nothing like it. There's nothing like the presence of God. Nothing like it. Absolutely nothing. There's nothing on earth can compare with God's presence. Moses knew it, didn't he? I don't know, angel, he said. I want you, Lord. Except your presence goes with me. He said, I'm going nowhere. And that must be our desire and our heart, mustn't it? Let his presence go with us. You see, he says in Hebrews 12, is what it says, Wherefore, seeing we also are encompassed about with what so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside what? Every weight and every sin. You and I have got to do that. A weight can be anything. It can be anything. It could be your geraniums, you know, taking too much attention on you. It could be anything. But the Holy Spirit will speak to you and say, that thing is interfering with you and me, the Lord will say to you. That thing is interfering with your fellowship and mine. He'll tell you. The Holy Spirit will. But sin is something different. The Holy Spirit will convict you of that and you have to repent of it. But you have to lay it aside. You can't ascend the hill of the Lord with weights. And sins? No. You can't. Because the prayer, of prayer, the, prayer of we, the prayer of praise and thanksgiving and praise will not carry the weight of weights and sins. You have to lay them aside. You have to keep short accounts. And that's sanctification. Sanctification is very important. I'll give you a definition of uh, Sanctification. It says, it is that principal condition in which the sin is dealt with in your life. Justification does not deal with the sin principle in us. It deals with the sins that we have committed and passed. But after our sins are being forgiven and our sin and guilt has been removed from us, the sin principle remain in us. And what the New Testament means by sanctification is the process whereby the very principle and activity of sin within us is being taken out of us and removed you have to be sensitive you do we have to learn to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit the Lord's dealing with me whatever state of growth you're in sitting here and whatever state of growth any of us are in there is more oh yeah there is more yeah what's holding you up is you and me we have to do this. He says, lay, uh, lay aside every weight and sin that does so easily beset us and let us, what? Run with patience the race set before us. There is, it's, a, it's another principle people have said about running a race. You can't run with weights. Can you? You see, this is it. The race, looking unto what? Jesus. Nobody else. Jesus. Looking unto Jesus. Who is what? And the finisher. What does that mean? That means he wants to develop your faith. So it becomes strong. You know, the two greatest examples of faith in the Gospels, who Jesus said had great faith, they were both Gentiles. The Syrophoenician woman, wasn't it? And the... And the what? The centurion. Great faith. God is looking for faith. Because without faith, it's impossible to please God. But you got it, but you got to develop it. You got to make it strong by feeding the inner man. And you can do it. And when you when you're strong inside, your body will be strong outside yeah get it right inside and it just comes out 
you know, we've, got, we've found a secret, haven't we? This is abundant life. This is life, and life more abundant. But it takes discipline, doesn't it? You and I have got to take the treatment. And this is where we've got to be willing to be brought in and take the treatment. Don't look at yourself. Keep looking at Jesus. He said, looking to Jesus, the author and the finisher, over the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, rising and saying, it's set down at the right hand of God, for consider him. Consider Jesus. So, praise the Lord. I think it's about time we finished. Tomorrow we are going to get into the life of Joseph, God willing. I've got some interesting things I want to say to you about... No, not tomorrow, it's afternoon. Sorry, it's afternoon. Sorry. It's afternoon. Sorry, sorry. Uh, you're here tomorrow morning, aren't you? We're looking forward to that. <laughs> you know when somebody's got the joy, don't you? <laughs> yeah, we've been taking off. So praise the Lord. We thank you this morning for your people. We thank you, Lord, for your presence. We thank you, Lord, for your anointing. We thank you, Lord, for your word. It's quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, dividing asunder soul, spirit, marrow, intents of the hearts and marrow. We thank you, Lord, for your word. It gives us wisdom. It gives us insight. It gives us revelation. It feeds us. It strengthens our faith. And Lord, we thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are the great minister of the church. And we thank you in Jesus' name. May this day be blessed as we go about our way. Be blessed in the name of the Lord. Turn to T. Peter 1, and um, this has helped me a lot. This I've, I've, you know, I've been asking the Lord about certain things, because we do go through things in our lives, don't we? And we think, well... Why didn't I have strong enough faith to deal with that? Why was it that that was freaking me out when it shouldn't have done? What is it? And then, then the Holy Spirit began to speak to me. There is something here that Peter is sharing with us, the Apostle. I don't remember glasses. Oh, yeah. um, that I think and I'm beginning to realize that 2 Peter 1 is one of these very important scriptures uh, this is what Peter actually says in here um, this is in verse 12 he says wherefore I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things though you know them and be established in the present truth. Yea, I think it meet that as long as I'm in this tabernacle to stir you up by putting you in remembrance. So Peter is saying to us, I'm writing this to the church, you and me, to stir us up so we don't sort of drop off. To stir us up spiritually to put us in remembrance. So what is he saying? And he opens up this chapter and he says, an apostle of Jesus Christ to them, what have obtained, listen to this statement, like precious faith. You see, we as children of God have got a God kind of faith. It's not a natural faith that says to you, well, if I sit on that chair, it'll support me. This is a God kind of faith like precious faith. And how do we get it? He says, through the righteousness of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. That's justification by faith. We've got it. Right? It's a gift. I could read it to you in Rome. We've had enough time in Romans 5. Then it says, grace, as we said in North Wales, and peace be multiplied to you. You've got to have grace and peace. And you cannot, and grace, as we said, is the root, and peace is the fruit. Right? People say, why, why is this happening? Because you're lacking peace. When you're lacking peace, you're in disease. 
aren't you? But if you can... You see, and I think a lot... And I said this to somebody the other day and they were very disturbed, this person. And she said, I haven't got faith to believe. Right, I said. You can do something about that, but at the moment, you're not going to have it because you need to do something to produce, to get your faith strengthened, aren't you? You know, this is a process. Sanctification is a process. It develops your faith, right? But I said, you can come in on the mercy of God. Yeah, you can come in on the mercy of God. God is merciful. Oh, Jesus is merciful. Oh, I tell you, this thought has so blessed me. God is a God of mercy. And if you cry out for mercy, he will not refuse you. He will not. But you'll have to humble yourself. You know the problem with people who will not cry out to mercy, particularly religious people, they're too proud. They will not cry out. But if you will humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, he will exalt you in due season. He will. He will. What is that exaltation? Is to be with Christ in heavenly places. You understand? Not to make you a wonderful person, you know. Exalt you that way. No, it's to put you into union with Christ to sit with him. The Ephesian epistle. Maybe we're coming to this one these mornings. Ephesians is the mountaintop. But you can't get up the mountain until you've got a foundation, until you've got the gear to climb the mountain. Can you? You've got to have the gear to claim the mountain. Well, you see, Apostle Peter is saying we have like precious faith. You know, you must not hide your faith. Your faith is to be used. You know, it's the parable of the one and two and the five, isn't it? Do you know, I think it's Lester Summer used to say, if God created the, at- the atom by faith, and the atom split can cause so much of a big bang, what, he said, what do you think faith in God can do? Jesus says it moves mountains. Oh yeah. It moves mountains. The God kind of faith. We've got to get hold of this. We've got to start thinking like God thinks. I tell you, we've got to start, I get our mind renewed. We've got to start living on a different level. He wants you to be a heavenly person, not a carnal, earthly person. He wants you to be a spiritual person. He wants you to walk in the spirit. Doesn't he? They that that sons of God are what? Led by the Spirit. It's very subtle. See, the enemy wants to put everything, weights and sin in your life to clog you down, bring you down. So you've got a chicken mentality, scratching all the time, mooning about this and mooning about that, scratching about this and what about this? No, 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 no. You're supposed to be praising God. Get an eagle mentality. Get an eagle mentality, isn't it? Grace and peace, according as divine power, listen to this statement, his divine power that had given us all things. Wow. It's in your faith that pertains to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to glory and virtue. I haven't given the definition of glorification yet, but I, I will, if I can remember. But you've been called to glory and virtue. Now this, this virtue business is, I think, for us as believers, the greatest stumbling block that can be to your faith and my faith. I've come to see this, and I don't know whether I can show you what I mean. He says, Whereby given to us exceeding great and precious promises that by these you might be partakers of divine nature... See, the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world through lust, and beside this, and this is what he says, 
give all diligence. That means you've got to be right on it. You can't be messing about with this. This is the big thing. Because when you get to heaven, are you going to be in the kindergarten or the university? Yeah. Won't be very nice to be in the kindergarten. You know, I agree with David Pawson. He says, some people think in heaven, everybody's equal. He said, you got it wrong. He's right. Not everybody's going to be equal. Oh, no, no. And not everybody's going to have a mansion. Some people are have a shed. No, I don't know about that. No, I shouldn't say that. <laughs> no, I don't know about that. I shouldn't say that. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> what? <laughs> uh, yeah. So it says, giving, um, and beside this, giving all diligence. Now, I, I, I mean, I, I'm, the Lord's on my case, you know. He's on my case. Yeah, and he's probably on your case. Yeah. He wants you to develop. He wants you to be a blessing so that you can bless others. But you've got the lid on it. Take the lid off. Isn't it? Take the lid off. Come on. You can do it. You can do it. Henry used to say, have a go. <laughs> yeah, have a go. Adding to your faith virtue. And what in the world is virtue? What is this virtue? We're called to glory in virtue, he says. And now he says, add to your faith virtue. I remember listening to Derek Prince oh, about 30 years ago and he was teaching on this and he said faith, the God-given faith has to be developed, see? And it's like the foundation stone. But to build your faith up, to make it fruitful, it has to be developed. Jesus is the author and the finisher of that faith, Right? And the first step to get the growth is this word, virtue. Well, what in the world is virtue? Yeah, what is it? Well, I, I've got a, an NLT and I've, got, I've looked up some other things. And it really is excellence. You see, if you're going to do something for God... God's house you're going to have to do it with all the ability that God has given you with excellence otherwise it does not glorify God you know some people have got the idea that God's very lucky to have them yeah and, you know, they tell the part, well, I, I couldn't turn up in church last night, last week, because I had uh, this, that, and the other. You know, God is not first. I had all these other things, weights and sins and all this. Right there. And I'm a scratching. I couldn't, yeah. I'm a scratcher, not a flyer, see. No, the problem you've got is, you see, is your spirit excellent? We talk about this this afternoon, if we can. Jacob, Joseph had an excellent spirit. Oh, yeah. Daniel had an excellent spirit, didn't he? You understand? You understand? You're dealing with the King of Kings here and the Lord of Lords, not just the Queen of England. Jesus is over everything. Woo! We're going home one day. We're on the way. Woo! Yeah. I'm finding this quite a challenge. I don't know about you. You know, the problem for, for some of us is, you know, I didn't have a very particularly high IQ at school, and, some, you know, and sometimes you think, well, it's just me. But it's not just you. It's Christ in you. Oh, yeah. It's Christ in you. It's not just you. What has God invested in you in giving you his son? Come on. What has he done for you? Do you appreciate it? Do you honor him? 
And of course, with excellence, it's, some people call it moral excellence. Because we have in the church today, you know, evidently, we had a, a sister in our church, uh, a man in our church, and he, oh, he said, um, my wife and I are not spiritually suited anymore. And he said, because um, we, we're not spiritually suited, we're not really married, he said. Oh, I said, really? <laughs> He'd seen some other woman, see, that he, fancy, see? And then they twist the word of God, and he said, but, you see, I'm, I've been made righteous, and I'm perfect. And God will just forgive me. I said, Really? And he went off and married, the, left his wife. And, he, and the chap had grandchildren, mind. And he married a girl about 30 years old, 40, 30 or 40 years younger. And he caused quite a storm. This is moral excellency. When you don't understand your foundation, you don't think right. And so Satan's got an inroad into your life to think that you can do what you like because you've been made righteous and you're perfect. Well, of course you're not. Sanctification is that thing that says to you, that is wrong. You don't do that. Now, we've all failed and God will forgive us and thank God he will. And God is, and and the mercy of God, I, I, I don't know, maybe he found mercy, I don't know. But you see, this is the point. This damages the body. You understand? These, these things damage the church, don't they? You understand? And, and what, what the Holy Spirit was saying to me, and it was in my life, and, and the Holy Spirit was saying to me, you see, you've got to deal with that. And you know you can live with something a long time, as long as I live. That's a lot, you know, I'm getting on now. And, and you know, because you don't want to deal with it, you want to push it in the background somewhere, don't you? But the Holy Spirit is saying to you, and me, deal with it. Yeah, and you can deal with it. And, that, and, that's, and the Lord said to me, you could have greater faith if you could get this right. See? If you could get this right in your life, your faith will develop. And you'll be able to add to your faith knowledge. Why don't people know anything? Why is it that when you talk to them, they, they don't know anything? It's because they can't take this first step. You know, it's important, this is. And you are, you, this is a personal thing between you and God, not for me to judge you or anybody. We, I, I'm the last person to judge anybody. <laughs> I, 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 I wouldn't like my record put up on the screen, I can tell you. I'm trusting in the blood of Jesus. Thank God for the blood. <laughs> Thank God for forgiveness of sins. But it took me a long time to let the penny drop in my mind that I was justified. Took me a long time. I was a Christian many, many years before this dropped into the penny dropped. And this is the problem, you see. Self-righteousness is dangerous. You know, I, I used to say, oh, my grandmother was in the Welsh Revival. And she was in the Revival in India. With Pandasaramabai. And my grandmother was, and you know, I was proud of my spiritual heritage. And I used to sort of boast about it. The Lord said to me, that's stinking pride. Stop it. Stop the nonsense. You know, and, and the Lord has a way to get to us, you see. And and the Lord will bring a book or a teaching or something into your life. And I got this little book on humility, right? By Andrew Murray. Little book on humility. And I began to read this book. And the light started to go on. Because pride is a very subtle thing. You can say to somebody, you're full of pride. You can't say that to them, I know. But they probably are. But if you said it to them, they said, not me. I'm a very humble person. Isn't it? But pride has many heads. And as a great preacher last century said, you can push pride out the front door and he's in the back door before you know it. Mm. You have to keep humbling yourself. 
Jesus humbled himself. So if Jesus humbled himself, don't you think you're going to have to humble yourself? No. I don't stand up for my rights anymore because I got somebody who stood up for my rights and gave me justice and justification and his righteousness and it's Jesus. Hallelujah. Woo. When he's fighting the case, we always win. Yeah. We always win. You have to hand it. He is our justifier. But let him sanctify you. And the treatment sometimes is not very nice. No, if for the time being, Paul says, it's pretty difficult. Well, it's afternoon, we get into Joseph, and you see it was really tough going. Wow. I think sometimes, if you're not willing to suffer with him, you will never reign with him. You're going to have to suffer in the flesh. Your flesh is not going to like it. No, it doesn't like the treatment. It's what Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. It's no longer I that liveth, but it's who? Christ who liveth in me. And when he lives in us, boy, whew, what a difference. What a change. You're elevated to a new level. Come on. You can come higher. Come on. Climb. Climb your spiritual ladder. Don't look back. You know, Paul said, forgetting those things that are behind, I press. You've got to press sometimes. Yes, you've got to press. And sometimes it's a sacrifice of praise. You feel like moaning. And stop it. Start praising. Praise in faith. Yeah. And praise will elevate you. As I said to Gerhard, when you're up there seated with Jesus in heavenly places, things look very different. Very different. Because you can see it from his point of view. Well, Joseph came to that conclusion at the end of his 13 years of process. But in the middle, I don't know. It was pretty difficult, wasn't it? Yeah. And if you're going through something difficult, well, the Lord's probably on your case. He's on your case. And you can come out of it because Jesus is the author and the finisher of your faith. Hallelujah. (laughs) Is that okay? No more?